You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Shannon Wheeler, the man behind Too Much Coffee Man. Uh, the new collection from uh, Boom, I uh, thought you'd be funnier, as well as coming out from Fanographics in the fall, the uh, um, nonfiction work, Oil and Water, about the BP oil spill, or BP oil disaster, I guess. Would that be more <laughs> apropos? Yeah, it's one of the worst uh, ecological disasters we've, man-made ecological disasters we've had, so, yeah, disaster is fair. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that later, because I, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, it's uh, it's kind of one of those things that kind of escape people's minds, it seems so recent. Um, with Too Much Coffee Man, you have uh, the Omnibus, which will be coming out in the fall as well. Yeah, we finally finished it. Actually, uh, September, I believe, we should have. Um, it's it's printed now, and it is slowly shipping back from China. So, um, just I have a few copies that they airshipped me. Um, so yeah, we're just waiting for it to arrive. It's on a um, boat. <laughs> slow boat from China. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a song for you. Um, yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. Actually, it, although. To be honest, I, I, you know, I have those copies, and I just I look at it, and I have a really hard time picking it up and reading it, um, because it's like twenty years of work, and it kind of breaks my heart. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's there all at once. This is it. This is what I traded in my <laughs> relationships, my health, my sanity. Like, and it just says, uh, "Here's the book. Here you go." <laughs> you know, I, I kind of have a mixed feelings about the whole world of comic book omnibus where they stick everything in one huge volume. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I fought against doing it for a really long time, and then I needed the money um, because I did like, like with the um, the, the fabulous Fairy Freak Brothers, um, the comics I loved, and then. The little ripoff press books that they put together, that about four volumes of that, and just it, it, the package—it's just so nice. And you read this thing, and I—I like—I liked it. And in a way, too much coffee man is, um, you know, kind of a spiritual brother of, of that stuff. I mean, that's—I—I'm really impressed with. Um, you know, by no means am, am I saying I'm as good as that, but. Um, it, it, there's there's a lot packed into um, into you know a lot of drawing and a lot of story in it and then to put it in an omnibus I, it's kind of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the downside. Is like, am, am I am I selling it yet? Is that <laughs> <laughs> here's the pitch. Um. It's terrible. It's too much stuff. I don't know. Like, first, they're putting up those CDs, right? Like the the they'd say, you know, like Hank Williams. You know, the, every song. You know, you get like you buy these three CD collection of Hank Williams, and and I was like, wow, it's great because I had all these Hank Williams CDs that I just loved, or records even. And then I go and I buy this, like you know, every song in various versions, and I'd put it on, and I would just go, my God, this is just too much Hank Williams. Like I'm good for. 27 minutes of Hank Williams that's like the perfect amount but you get to 
33 minutes of Hank Williams, and it's just like, okay. That's You're starting enough. to cry. I need to move to Mississippi Delta Blues. I need to move over from country to something else. Like, it's, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I have mixed feelings as well about it, but, um, but it is nice to have a big comprehensive book, and he's like, mm -hmm. all right, you know, what should I buy? Well, twenty-five dollars. Can you, you know, here you go. That's pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah. Well, we figure my fans are poor. Um, sure, or maybe not. Maybe just people <laughs> are cheap. Uh, well, I mean, literally, like when we sat in the meeting and talked about it, they're like, oh, well, Shannon's fans. They tend not to be the high-end people, and so let's keep the price point as low as we can. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe they say it like as, with no irony or anything, like, it's all not in the room. I'm like, oh, that's great. Put down my 30 fans. That's great. <laughs> well, I sat down and read it over the last couple of days, and, I mean, it's it's astonishing to see all of it together, um, and interesting to see the progression where you go from a very oh it, it's the early stuff really feels like an object of its time yeah um which i which i appreciate seeing that there because i mean it really it is you know it progresses and you see yourself progressing as a as a cartoonist and artist um but you still kind of capture like this is what comics were like in the early to mid 90s it was, I, had, I had a lot of fun with it. I, I put a lot of work into panel layout and storytelling. Um, I was figuring out how to do that stuff, and so there was a lot of um, exploration and you know, business work with that. And then, and then too, I, I just I put work into that stuff because I thought people would appreciate it. And then as I got older, it's like ah, nobody notices panel layout. Screw it. I'll just do a three-two-three. Uh, yeah. You know, three panels, two panels, three panels, tier system, and, you know, like, not have the tree from the bottom panel create the framework for the upper panels. And I don't know, I used to really think about that stuff, and now I'm like, eh, screw it up. It's interesting that you were bringing up the Gilbert Shelton earlier in the Furry Freak Brothers, because I really felt that was a big influence on your early work. Oh, enormous. underground um, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he's really not appreciated enough. Uh, his storytelling, um, it, it just it flows so well. I mean, the humor I really like, obviously, but but the it's just a very natural. Um, he, he could just tell a story. I mean, it's it's like uh, it's like a Jimbo or something. Where it's just like, oh, this person. It just it it feels kind of seamless and in the timing. Um, but obviously, there's just a lot of thought and work that goes in behind it to make it look or feel seamless. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just I think he's just amazing. And growing up too, we had those comics around, and so it was the first when I was a little kid, and I was buying Marvel comics, and then I kind of oh here's some other comics that are around the house, and I read them, and and all of a sudden, you know, Garfield was my cat humor. Source and back then Garfield was a little bit edgier. You know, like Garfield was funnier and stuff. It's not quite what it is now, but um, but still, then to go from that to Fat Freddy's Cat, where you've got this animal that is having sex and crapping and headphones, and I, it, you know, it's just it's really funny. I mean, like genuinely funny, and it just changed the way I thought about humor. Um, 
and it just shocked me too because he had no reverence for um, for rules. You know, he would he would do things to tell jokes that I was like, "Wow, you just aren't not supposed to do that." And it made it funny. Um, but then it turned out when I was in college, I was going to, to uh, Paris on a on a little trip, and my uncle said, oh, when you're over there, you should say hello to Gilbert. And I'm like, oh, who's that? And he's like, oh, Gilbert Shelton. And he does a, it turned out he's a friend of the family. Oh, because you're from Texas, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I've, uh, yeah, my, my grandparents are, Texas, are from Texas, and then my, um, my aunt still lives in Austin. Um, so my uncle, Houston. Um, yeah, he's an old, old Texan. Um, you know, old, old Texas hippie scene. Um, yeah. Um, and so there's the Vulcan Gas Company, which is a big music scene. And so uh, they're friends with, um, uh, like, uh, Jim Franklin and um, just a lot of the old poster artists that were... Jim Franklin did work with, like, 13 Floor Elevator. Uh, he did a lot of, like, Armadillo artwork that's um, still kind of around. Um, but, yeah, he, Gilbert is friends, and he's like, oh, yeah, go be there. So... You know, when I was 19 years old, I'd go to Paris, and there's, you know, I'd call up Gilbert Shelton and go have coffee with him, um, and give him some old photos from the 60s. Um, and then that, then all of a sudden, I, really, I was like, yeah, I've been reading your stuff my whole life, but now it made sense, like, why we had those comics lying around. Um, but good, you know, so now for my kids, I have a few comics like that that I've kind of hidden so that they can find them rather than <laughs> oh here take this and read this it's like no you don't read this comic I'm going to put it here and you know that way they'll find it and kind of like oh look at the dirty words and sex and violence and this, this is great <laughs> if I push it on them they'll just turn into Republicans and like oh all that stuff is terrible but you know you hide it and... now was this when you were in school for architecture or was it when you were in yeah, um, I grew up in Berkeley and then went to UC Berkeley and studied architecture. Um, and then about, I started off in the art department and didn't feel challenged enough. Um, and so I, I, the the architecture department just said go over there and that's I felt like that's where the real art was being done. And people were in there at two in the morning just busting ass to get projects done and I wanted to be I wanted to work hard um, so I switched to architecture and then um, and then just kind of took the art art side in the architecture department and then started doing a daily cartoon strip for the newspaper um, and then I also was rolling crew at the time because I had never been a jock and I thought oh yeah I'll, I'll see what being a jock is like for a little bit so I was in architecture, rolling crew, and drawing a daily cartoon strip for the newspaper, and I don't know how, why I did that. Like in retrospect, I think that was kind of stupid, but um, you know, <laughs> not quite sure on your ident identity at the time. Uh, it, well, just trying to figure out, like you know, like uh, you know, you struggle with various. You know, like, how do I become a happy person, or what? What do I want to do in life? And yeah, so you you're trying on different hats. Like, oh, I'll be a stoner for a year. Or I'll be a jock for a year. 
um, I'll try working really hard, see if that makes me happy. I'll try not doing anything at all and see what that does. I don't know. I was just into experimenting with lifestyle. And, um, Artistically, yeah. did you find um, architecture to be... Did you find any fulfillment while doing that in school? I loved it. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, yeah, I had really good teachers, and it, it was yeah, it was very very artistic. And but it's really different being in school for architecture and then actually doing architecture. Mm -hmm. um, and and Berkeley, it isn't it isn't a trade school. It's it's more of a um, you know, more intellectual or theoretical. So Conceptual. they weren't trying to teach you. Yeah, they they wanted you to to think about like pattern flow and and um, usage and and emotional environments and um, so yeah, it was, it, it, like you would have to like oh take a take an idea like you know here's a Lorca poem and then design a space that represents you know, this piece of poetry here. Um, so it was great. Yeah, I loved it. I know... Uh, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wish I was still in school doing that. I think it was fun. <laughs> I know uh, Lorenzo Matati for himself. He went to architecture school in Italy because that was like the closest he could get to cartooning. Oh, interesting. <laughs> There's no real art school around where he was. I think it was in Milan. And so he went to architecture school. Oh wow! Yeah, it's odd. It's, it's good, you know, I think it, in a way it doesn't really matter. You know, you just—I just wanted to work hard and think. I wanted to think hard about something, you know, and train. I wanted to train, you know, and 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 I because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just I figured it didn't matter. I just wanted to push at it, and I don't know. It's it was great actually. So did you finish there, or did you transfer from there to Austin? Uh, yeah, no, I finished. I graduated, and then kind of worked, just worked at an art store for a little bit and hung out, and I was cartooning. And I just felt like I wanted to move somewhere to, um, I don't know, um, move to the next level, sort of, and I felt like, yeah, so I just thought, oh, I'll just move to Austin. I don't know what I want to do, so I, I just, um, I had relatives there, and so I knew I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't end up homeless. Um, so I just went down to my aunt's place and slept on the couch for a few months. Um, started working there, and then, and then I met people that were in school. Um, so I just started cartooning at the at the college paper, um, and I would. I would wear a little backpack down there, and they—I think the editors kind of assumed that I was in school, so they started running my cartoon in the student paper. Um, and oddly, at the time, uh, Chris Ware was cartooning, Robert Rodriguez was cartooning, um, Walt Holcomb, Tom King, um, oh man, Jeanette Moreno. I mean, like everybody that was in there cartooning in the Daily Texan was a heavyweight, and just really amazing so that like all of a sudden I was surrounded by these people that were a lot better than myself and I had to up my game a lot 
<laughs> what kind of comics had you been doing at, up till that point, like before you were upping your game, so to say? Um, well, I started at the Daily Californian, and I was doing single panel work. Um, a buddy of mine, when I was in school, a buddy of mine was like, oh, let's start doing a strip. And so we would get together and read uh, newspaper strips and analyze a joke structure and go, okay, here's here's the traditional setup, um, continuance, punchline, and then there's, like in a Calvin and Hobbes, there's usually like a little um, afterward punchline that, that he sneaks in. And, and then kind of how... The, we just broke it apart intellectually trying to figure out what we could do. And so we, we took that down to the uh, Daily Californian and submitted that and uh, repeatedly. I mean, it took a lot. And the editors were like, well, you know, maybe, blah, blah, blah. Um, um, but then I started doing a lot of illustration work and then uh, doing gag cartoons because they could use those when they had holes in the paper. They could use, use those as filler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the gag cartoons kind of took off. So I started off doing a, a strip or a gag strip called uh, Calaboose. That was a single panel. And it, basically like like New Yorker cartoons, kind of. Um, and so that, yeah, and then the, the editor that came in he was drawing a strip cartoon and I kept pushing like oh I want to do a strip cartoon and he's but he didn't want he didn't want there to be two strip cartoons in the newspaper so he kept me doing a gag cartoon um, and then finally I, I when he left I was able to get the new editor to give me a, a strip position um, and then I started it was like a autobiographical kind of a young guy um, with a talking dog uh, and sort of his misadventures in college and mm-hmm. struggles and stuff, um, and that that character, Joel, the Joel character, who's kind of you know sort of like a college Charlie Brown character. I used him then in when I started the Too Much Coffee Man. That's the same. Uh, that's the same quality, you know, same character basically. Um, in, in Too Much Coffee Man, when I did that, I broke it up into the three stories. Um, and so I had the artist and the writer, uh, I mean the reader, mm-hmm. um, and then the Too Much Coffee Man proper. Um, and so... Each kind of taking yeah. on a different part of your identity? Um, yeah. It was actually a way to throw tomatoes at different genres that I thought were kind of ridiculous like the autobiographical stuff I could I, I was it was sort of a parody of that where it's like oh here's the cartoonist and all these people at the time were drawing themselves as these very attractive cartoonists so I thought I'm going to make this guy fat and ugly and that's the cartoonist hero that I'm going to have um, it, it almost reminded me a little bit of uh, Colin Upton stuff oh yeah yeah, well, that's kind of an insult to Colin, but <laughs> <laughs> well, just the way Colin, uh, you know, God bless him, he sometimes portrays himself uh, in a far negative light than he may be. He, he, yeah, he does. He's great too. I love his stuff. That's funny. I never <laughs> thought of that. That's true. It, it is true. There's no overlap. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
So did Too Much Coffee Man, did you start doing that when you're doing stuff for the Texan? Or in doing stuff yeah, for the I was doing that simultaneously. So I was doing the strip for the Daily Texan, um, and then my friends, the people that I was meeting were, were doing comic books. So they started saying, you know, oh, we want... Um, you should do comic book stories, and and so I, what I did is I started thinking like, okay, how do I take a four panel setup and then make it a one page gag, and then how do I turn a one page thing into an eight page thing, um, and so yeah, and, and actually it was when after I met Gilbert, he told me what he used to do is run the Freak Brothers cartoons as a one-page in an underground newspaper, and then when he got enough one-page strips together, he would just collect them and sell them as a comic book. Um, and so that's kind of what I thought I would do with the Too Much Coffee Man. Um, so I started doing a weekly that I was selling to, like, like the Austin Comic News or something, and then I was doing the Daily for the Daily Texan, and then I was drawing mini-comics, um, like the eight-page things, just to help promote all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, was, I don't know what I was doing. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, did you actually go to school in Texas at all, or you had like been done with school and were just doing cartooning when you were there? Um, I, I dated a lot of the college students. Um, yeah, no, I did <laughs> not go to school. <laughs> I just, like, foxy I went. It was <laughs> pretended. It was all, uh, all fiction. I'd tell people like, I'd go to the parties and <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I was like just hanging out. <laughs> and is that around the same time when you started doing jab or is that a little later? That's exactly the same time. Yeah. I hooked up with some buddies and those are the ones that are like, Oh, do comic books. Don't mm-hmm. do newspaper stuff, do comics. Um and that's they pushed me to do the stories. Um and one of them had moved into a house where there's a printing press. And we thought, oh, we've got this print. Let's just print our own comic books. And it was just, it was, you know, so we, we, it took us about a year to put all the material together for the first anthology. Um, and then by that time, the, the repo man had come and taken the printing press away. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the guy that moved out, the printer that had moved out, just stopped paying off of that. We didn't know any of this stuff, so one day, you know, they came and knocked and the guys just took that and a bunch of other stuff that they felt like taking. Um, and yeah, so it was good. It was a good group of guys. I was really lucky because um, like Martin Thomas, uh, he was, he had been doing uh, coloring for Grim Jack and, um, and then I don't know, Rick Claw was writing some science fiction stories. Uh, Aubrey McCauley, he'd worked at a uh, magazine, a uh, computer magazine, and then Ashley Underwood um, was just drawing comics as well. But uh, he was working a lot for Steve Jackson. So we all had kind of like these different... The games backgrounds. people? Yeah. Um, and then, like, Aubrey understood the business stuff, so he was able to call it Diamond. And at that time, there's, like, Diamond and... I think 12 distributors so he plugged us in with all these distributors so all of a sudden we could sell our he's like yeah get the comic done and let's sell this thing and, um, and then Martin knew how to kind of polish it up and make it look like a comic book 
Um, Ashley was just kind of a freak, and he would stay up all night getting stuff done and just working on it. And I don't know what I was doing, just sort of watching everybody, I guess. <laughs> um, but that's that's how the Too Much Coffee Man stuff kind of started, um, was just working with those guys. And it was great. It was a real Texas underground tradition is what we were doing. And for a lot of folks that don't know, this was kind of the earliest appearance of Chris Ware's work too, wasn't it? In those chats? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It might even be the first... I don't know if that's the first. Uh, like I don't comment. know. I don't. There's that eclipse book that he did, uh-huh. but it's kind of relegated to be forgotten. Um, but I know he did one of it, some of his autobio stuff, like the Potato Head guy. Yeah. And some of those. And I'm not sure what. Well, Rob, what year was this? That was '92, maybe '91. Yeah. Um, he did the Ford Fairlane. Is yeah, that, that's that the one. Thing? Yeah, I think that was a little bit before Jab, but I don't know though. I I didn't really keep track. I should. <laughs> I guess I should keep track of crap like that. People seem to care. So. Ah, but. It's interesting. It's it's a watershed moment, maybe. <laughs> too much coffee, man. He's too much coffee, man. Plan, but it all ran out the pan when he sat down to have another brown steaming cup of Java Joe. You know, yeah, too much coffee, man. Too much coffee, man. He's too much coffee, man. Like I said, Stan, he's the man. He is too much coffee, man. That's his name, don't you get it? Too much coffee, man. What's that you said? What's that on his head? That is his head, man. Huh. Yeah, he's too much coffee, man. What was the plan? He tells it like it is, but it isn't happening. He says, come in, Russ, what's happening? Yeah. Let's sit down and make a plan. Nothing happening, man. Well, as long as you're hanging around, might as well have another brown steaming cup of Java Joe, you know? Yeah, we'll make a plan. Yep, let's get up and go. Yeah, but before we go, 
I think I need one more. I need one for the road, and I need one for the load. Too much coffee, man. Too much coffee, man. Too much coffee, man. Too much coffee, man. Welcome back to Ink Studs. I'm talking to Shannon Wheeler right now, the creator of Too Much Coffee Man. I thought you would be funnier. Uh, Oil and Water coming out from Fanographics in the fall, as well as much more. Uh, we were just talking about his early days in Texas, working on Jab Comics. Um, one thing I remember you were telling me about, we were in San Francisco at Ape last year, and you were going on about you had done an issue that you guys shot through. Yeah, we put up the first issue of Jab and sold about 3,000. And then the second issue, it's an anthology comic, and the idea was that each of us would contribute to it and and to each uh, to each his needs and from each his abilities, I guess, was our idea. Um, and then the second issue went from selling 3,000 copies or uh, 2,800, something like that, to 900, something like that, or uh, about half. Um, so maybe it was just like 1,500 or 1,200, something. Um, and then we thought it was at a time when all these gimmicks were happening. And putting up the third issue, we thought, okay, you know, we need to sell at least 900 copies to have a break even, and we want to make money off this. So what can we do as a gimmick? to um, up our sales. And so that's when we just sat around thinking, like, you know, could we do a hologram cover? Um, could we do, uh, you know, what could we what could we make, do to make this interesting? And then it was actually Ashley who said, oh, we could just shoot it with a gun. And then we took that idea and just said, okay, well, if we do that, like, I mean, what's interesting is that, like, if, right after he said it, like, everybody in the room just started saying, like, oh, we can't do that, it's too expensive, it's too dangerous, um, it's impractical, like, there's this natural, in any group, it's just natural to say no to ideas, um, but luckily, like, we'd been drinking enough to where we start yelling at each other, going, no, we can do it, we can do it, and, and you know, I sat there and go, okay, well, if we put them in stacks of 10, then, you know, I'd like, how much is 100 bullets? And, like, we shoot 3,000 comics, we need 300 bullets, you know, 20 bucks. Yeah, we can do a gimmick for 20 bucks. Um, and then we took Marvel Comics out into a field and test shot it. I mean, we, you know, we had to, every <laughs> doubt that we had, we had to fight hard. I mean, it's just weird how negative people are and say like oh there's no way we can do that and, and then we were worried that the store owners would return it because it wasn't mint um, you know like we would get these books that were obviously damaged and then you know the diamond contractor like if you they can return it if they get damaged books so we were worried about that we were worried about everything and it's just stupid you know because it's just I don't know so um, but we did it and it tripled our sales and kind of put us on the more importantly than, than sales it like it it, it it was funny you know like it and and, <laughs> and people notice it you know like we all of a sudden like people would like write a review we get a plug in in wizard comics and then um 
yeah, it was just it was a it, it just had this I don't know good energy to it, and um, and we liked it. I mean, like it was fun to do. Like we all went out into um, like on my little Facebook page. I have a picture of me with a gun, and that's from when we went out in the country and and shot them. I mean, the first day was great because that's like everybody wants to be a part of it. So you've got twelve people with guns out in the country shooting comics. But then the second day, you know, kind of the novelty wears off, and you get six people. And then third day, it's kind of rainy, and then nobody wants to do it anymore. So, um, you know, it ended up I ended up shooting fifteen hundred comics. I talked to I was working for a printer part time and complaining that we didn't have a place to shoot them and nobody wanted to do it. He's like, oh, just come do it in my garage. That's no problem. And so I just drove 1,500 comics to his house. And he goes, yeah, I got a 22. Here, just use this. Just put it on some newspapers here. Just a 22. I'm like, yeah, but what about the noise? He's like, ah, just a little pop gun. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't okay. mess with Texas. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, and then he, I mean, uh, I drove up to his land in the country one time, and he hands me this kind of, I don't know what it what it was, but it had a big bullet. He said, oh, I want to shoot this thing. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know. So he hands me this rifle, and um, I mean, the bullets were, you know, the size of a pinky. And I'm like, you just keep this loaded? He goes, well, you know, if you need a gun, you don't want to, you, you need it quickly. You don't have time to load it. Oh, okay. And then the radio was playing, and he, so I shot this thing. And, and I was like, wow, that is so loud. Like, I, that, I thought the sound of it made the radio go quiet. And I thought, that's amazing that it, the sound of the gun would affect the speaker on the radio. And then slowly <laughs> the sound came back in. I realized, like, no, that is my ears. Like, I, it was so loud, my ears. And then, I, so I know now, like, even in, like, a Tarantino film, which, you know, um, when you are in a small environment like a house and they sh- shoot the machine guns through the floor, like that is loud and you can't hear for a little bit after that. So kind of them shooting and then having this whispery conversation, I don't know. Yeah, that was, that was a real gun. He was like, that's oh, a real gun. You know, like that 22 is just, yeah, that's Texas a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> So um, yeah, we did shoot the comics. That was fun. We 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 tagged it too, like um, as the only comic in history. Like we shot it with forty five. Like we shot most of them with twenty twos, and then we put, we'd put it in a stack. So if there's a powder burn on it, we would tell the store owners if you buy ten comics, you'd get one comic with a powder burns on it. Um, and then if we shot it with a forty five, we charged more for it. And then we, we had a, a nine millimeter uh, that would charge, I think, like ten bucks. And then we had a shotgun issue that was guaranteed unreadable, and it came in a poly bag, and that was twenty bucks. And um, and I taglined that ad campaign as being, "It's the only comic book in history where, as the condition goes down, the value goes up." I was really proud of that one. Well, it was a good thing during a time of high speculator. Uh initiative yeah so say. yeah I, I, you know it's just kind of mocking the mocking the, the the gimmicks and we called it the stupidest gimmick ever um and people too they'd say like oh that's really cool how you punched a hole in it like no he shot it like that was we kind of felt and i still feel this way like if you're going to do something 
you you really need to do it for real and do it right. You don't you don't punch holes in something and call it a bullet hole issue. You and we got ripped off too. Like other people would come in and do a die cut thing and call it a bullet hole thing. And we're like, no, that's what a bunch of pussies. Like you know, <laughs> take it out in the field and shoot it if you're going to do that. It's, come on, man up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So how many issues of Jab did you end up doing? I think we did six or seven total. Um, like, I started doing too much Coffee Man more and more, and so and there'd always be some guy in the periphery who would say, oh, let me do it. You know, like, I see what you're doing wrong. Let me, I can do it better. And so we'd go, oh, okay, here, you edit it. This next issue, it's all yours. And then they'd screw it up left and right, and... Um, you know, get like try to get artwork from people and never get it. So we'd have to like throw in little filler pieces or something. Um, and, and that, yeah, I think six or six issues maybe. Um, each one, pretty much each one had a different editor. Um, and then finally, it was like, okay. I mean, selling an anthology is really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and, not an enviable task. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah, hurting getting all the people to contribute, and then there's not much money, so you can't really pay people. And yeah, everybody too. When you're in a little group, everybody. This I realized at the time, like every single person in the group feels like they are doing more than every other single person in the group. Mm-hmm. And once you realize that, you're like, okay, now we can all work together because everybody feels like they're contributing. They're a more important member than every other person. Um, and yeah, it's, it was a good run, though. Um, when I was reading the big omnibus, there was a quote in there um, in one of the stories. I think it was the the cartoonist character saying that the talking to other pure cartoonists um, that he imagines drawing for an audience. And that the uh, relationship, the the point of what they're doing is creating a relationship between creator and audience. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a bit about that. That was pretty much a straight gag. I mean, I was making fun of. I I, I think I came out of a conversation when we were sitting around um, with some people and. A bunch of cartoons. We'd all we used to all get together and we'd talk about who we drew for, and and so it's, it, it was it was kind of like a way to outdo each other of like who could be stupider, um, and so that was just something I said is like that I imagined that I was drawing inside of a uh, amphitheater and people would cheer at every line stroke, but it was just it, you know it, it was just to be. To make you know, we were just like making fun of each other, really. But it was and to make each other laugh. Like that is such a ridiculous thought. But I thought there's some there's a kernel of truth in there. We you know like it kind of feels like something somebody might think or say or you know like at various times like the guilty thought like like a shameful thought that you might have sometimes like what you're doing is actually important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's not. It's just a comic book that you're drawing. But uh, um, so, yeah, a lot of the stuff in the cartoonist stuff is is really kind of it's meant as parody. Um, 
or mockery more than parody, you know. Um, I think there's a kernel of truth, though, in that the part where you're talking about the relationship between creator and audience. Yeah. Well, are you talking about when they're all sitting around talking? I think to this may have been where... like a page later, and kind of in the okay. same section. Because I had the female one talking about how she drew for her father, and everybody got creeped out, and then somebody else was drawing for the audience, and then I I like that bit where he he goes into the comic book store and sees uh, all the comics on the wall and describes it as sand on a beach and the waves of crap coming in and um, that's usually more how I feel (laughs) 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 overwhelmed and like why am I doing this what's the point (laughs) well tell me about the um, too much coffee man as a character like I kind of feel like I get the feeling from reading it that you knew you came up with a good concept but you weren't entirely comfortable with it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, that in the comic book where I talk about the origin of it, I, I did the third issue of Too Much Coffee Man, is, it is the origin issue. Like, each comic book had a theme. So mm-hmm. the second one was all about cliches, um, and that's why Too Much Coffee Man fought a superhero called Cliché, and then they fought only using cliches. Um, I mean, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and then another one says, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And so they were using cliches that were opposite. It was like a dirty dozen. Um, and then the third one was the origin, and instead of telling the origin of the superhero, I told the origin of the idea. And that actually is pretty accurate, where I was doing the strip in the newspaper, and I was meeting people, and they oh, which one do you do? And I said, oh, I do the one with the guy in college, and it's kind of generic and people oh yeah I think I know that one so I, I thought I need to I need to create a character that is iconic um, and then the and I just thought I need something that has a hook or a handle on it and so it was, it was a straight visual pun of the handle on the coffee cup being a visual handle for people to grab onto and uh, digest quickly mm-hmm. um and I thought I would do one or two comics with him, and that was it. But it resonated really well. Um, and so I kept doing it. But it, it it's hard because on one level, people will come up to me and say, oh, yeah, I, I love coffee, and, and so I love your comic strip. Um, and that's not really what I'm wanting out of it comic career you know I want to do a wide variety of ideas and um, stories and and, it, and even the too much coffee and stuff isn't really about coffee and I, I just thought about Kiss and how okay they're 50 years old and they're still putting on this crappy makeup they've never really made music um, or it's very difficult for them to make music I don't know I'm not a mm-hmm. big Kiss fan and I just didn't want to be Kiss you know like I wanted to be I don't know Bob Dylan or something, you know, like that's, um, but the difference between selling a comic book, you know, 10, 20,000 copies of it and, and like selling Jab where we were selling 900 copies of it. Um, so it was a, it's kind of a delivery system. So yeah, there's some mixed feelings there, 
Um, but at the same time, like it, it, it became really personal for me. Like, like the character itself really does have this emotional. Um, it, it just it became a voice for my id, um, where he's kind of it's that sort of infantile expression of desire. Um, it, I mean, id people, sexual or whatever, but but the desires of the id are are kind of more wide ranging than that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like the construction of your ego, or deconstruction of it. Yeah, I, yeah. There's kind of a lack of super ego, or the super ego is is very undeveloped, and so there's impulse, a lot of impulse expression. You know, so he has impulses and then expresses them, and so it really worked for me um, and became a real voice of a, a part of me I mean that's the only way I could write this stuff is from what it's coming from the heart you know something I really believe in so well it's funny um, like it it's it's about as much as about coffee jokes as say Ivan Brunetti's schizo number three is about office relations <laughs> you know, right yeah it's and that's kind of I get the feeling like in your later books where you're still using the character, but like screw heaven when I die and go to Mars, it's not about like you're you're putting the book out there not as a too much coffee man book, but as a you know kind of narrative of just where your thoughts are going. Yeah, but it's a real hard sell yeah. doing that, and and there's a balance because in order to do it you have to sell books but then I don't want to be pigeonholed into a single thing so it's a it's a, it's a balance and um, um, but yeah I mean that's in part why I've really pushed in the last I don't know three or four years in fact I mean I stopped drawing too much coffee man altogether and just said okay I'm, I need to make a clean break and start doing other you know that's why I pushed it as how to be happy and screw heaven and um, but then the opera kind of fell in my lap where and then I was like okay well I should like I couldn't escape it you know it's like the you know you get out and they pull you back in and get out and they pull you back in I can't remember the back line. Is it, uh, Godfather two is that, that one is that third one okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they keep pulling me back in. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but I like you know the bottom line is I like it. I'm really lucky, so I can't you know it's, it's the new meme of uh, first world problems, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, one big thing you could with your work is not not with your comic work, but kind of I guess sustaining your comic work is the use of the merchandising. And when did that kind of first pop up, and how did that kind of take over some angles to what you're doing um, from the first actually from when I was in college I just loved I loved I loved merchandise I mean I loved the little gimmicks and the stupid objects um, and so in college I did t-shirts that I would sell to people on my on the characters that were in the strip I did um, and then yeah, as soon as I started doing too much coffee, man, I started doing uh, T-shirts and coffee mugs, um, uh, 
much. I just, yeah, I just did, back then it was mail order, and so I just had ads in the comic book saying, you know, send 10 bucks per t-shirt. Um, I mean, I know, like, a lot of the more artistic comic people shy away from that, um, and it's really interesting how, I, I mean, back then it was, like, considered bad taste to be doing merchandise. Um, I think uh, Calvin and Hobbes, Bill Watterson really is opposed to it, which I respect a lot. Um, and then a lot of the guys at the Texan, like Chris Ware at the time wasn't big on merchandise. Um, and a lot of the fanographics is kind of anti-merchandise. So there's, there's sort of like, Although, at the time there's a very... Let's, let's just exchange, be yeah. careful with fanographics. I mean, they also kept themselves afloat with porn comics, so... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we just, I just want to put that out there. You know, I, 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 I respect them and I'm pretty close to a lot of the stuff they do, but they did stay afloat with porn comics and uh, yeah. you know, yeah. X Men uh, books about the X Men in the early '80s and. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, and they but did it's a kind of a real camps. I mean, like that, like that's blurred a lot uh, now. But at the time, people were like, "Oh, you're." either you're doing an art comic or you're doing a commercial comic and you couldn't really do both. Um, but now people doing web comics are like the only way to make money or to make it sustainable is to do merchandise. And, mm -hmm. But at, back then I was like, I, I just liked it. I mean, I liked the t-shirts and toilet paper. Like I, I just thought this would be really funny to wipe my butt with my artwork. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I looked around for a toilet paper, something that would do toilet paper, and I found, um, you know, I found a producer of it, and I printed up too much coffee and toilet paper, and I sponges, I did sponges. My theory was, like, I, I will do merchandise um, for anything, and if it doesn't sell, then I'll be able to use it myself, and so I wanted the quality to be good, and I wanted it to be useful. Um, you and know, you'll like always have a use for toilet paper. paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. It's <laughs> well, I'm happy you touched. I'm happy yeah. you touched on the under or the uh, web co cartoonist use of merchandise because really it has shifted into this is the way they stay sustainable is to do this merchandise to do these cheap prints that they do, um, their t-shirts, their whatnot. Um, it keeps you know keeps that afloat. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's something you like then I think you should do it I don't see I, I don't I've never seen it as a moral issue mm -hmm. um, you know but I was definitely in the minority on that at the time but um, yeah now I don't really do nearly as much merchandise because I just don't have the energy to, to find cool funny things to print up and um, and the energy to I don't know packing up uh, boxes of you know it's bottle openers or it just kind of bores me now like I got tired of shipment fulfillment and then sending it to you know like Europe it would always get lost it's going to the Netherlands and it's like it's been two months and you get the letter back saying, I haven't gotten it and it costs you 30 bucks to send and I don't know filling out the forms <laughs> yeah just, well let's talk about how you've kind of over the last couple of years you've seem to really, I don't know, did you reevaluate what you wanted to do with your comics or it's just you really wanted to stretch in other directions? 
Um, well, a little bit of both, and then and then also just kind of failing at certain things, like like doing the magazine. Um, it was a way to do. I really wanted to do a humor anthology again, and I, I pulled it off for a little while, and it just didn't sell enough. Um, and then also the distributors went out of business, and so um, that so there. That yeah, killed it for everyone. Yeah, it, it did, yeah, um, and it's a shame because that was that was a ton of fun to do, um, and then the books. Yeah, I don't know. I just sort of it's kind of like when opportunities come up, that's what you that's what you take. Um, so I meet the editor for the New Yorker, or you know, one of the one of the contributing editors, um, kind of one of the higher cartoonists in the little. Uh, totem pole there, and and then I'm like, wow, I would, I, you know, I've always wanted to do a cartoon for the New Yorker, and so having that opportunity, then I just push in that direction to take it. Um, I don't know. Does that? And, um, and it's it, you're almost coming full circle because when you started, you started out with uh, single panels. I'm really coming full circle because I've gone back to some of those early single panels and I've stolen from myself and redrawn them to submit to the New Yorker now. Um, <laughs> Self-plagiarization. Tell me about the uh, artistically um, the style you use for the, for the single panels because it's very different from the rest of your stuff. Um, it was tough. I, I, Matt Diffie is the guy that really helped me out with that and He's another cartoonist, and he. When I met him, he said, um, "He said that I had some funny cartoons, and and I asked him how do I submit to the New Yorker, and he said, and he offered to. Um, so well, send me some stuff, and let me look at it, and uh, I can give you some comments. And so I sent him some of these, and he said, "Well, some of these are funny, most of these aren't funny." Um, um, and then he said, do you want me to, he said, I'm happy to take them up to the editor, Bob Mankoff, right now, or if you want, I'll, I'll work with you and um, give you advice on stuff. And I just thought this is a real opportunity to, to improve and to, yeah, of course I'm going to have him work with me. It's like, if you have a it's champion. A no-brainer. Yeah, it is. It's a no-brainer. Um, so then I, I just started doing cartoons every week for him. And, but it was, it was hard because like he would say things like, yeah, these drawings are too good. Um, you need to simplify it or don't be so slick. This is, it's more about the personality than it is about, um, the, the trick of how the shadow falls. Um, and then, and it, it was hard because it's like, how do you unlearn some of the little tricks or cross-hatching. I love cross-hatching. So how do I let go of, you know, doing all that cross-hatching, which in a way is just to hide my own artwork. So really reducing it down to this very simple expression, it's, it's, it's tough. It took a lot of, um, but, and people say, well, you know, is it weird to be drawing, um, you know, in this different style? And, and I kind of feel like, if you go to a jazz club, you play jazz. Like, and I feel like that's what 
New Yorker cartoons are very much a special form of music or cartooning, and so it's you just learn how to play that music, and and your personality is in there and it emerges. You cannot hide your personality. Um, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and so I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, but it's... it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard <laughs> to do. Well, I mean, I, you, you, in you... a way. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, it's harder to let go of things than it is to learn them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'd always heard that, like these artists said, like you spend the first half of your life learning and the second half unlearning. And I just thought, oh, what a load of crap. But now I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of get what they're saying now because it is really hard to unlearn this stuff. Oh, Picasso or some a hole said that or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and so I thought you'd be funnier is the rejects, so to say. Yeah, um, yeah. You, in order to submit it to New Yorker, one they what they like is to see that you you submit about ten cartoons a week, um, plus or minus a few, and a lot of that is to show that you are a producer. Like they they want. I was told that they want. Um, that anybody can do one or two funny cartoons a year, you know, like that's not a big deal, but to show that you can consistently produce a funny cartoon is a special talent. And, and they said that they, Diffie told me, he said that they want, um, they want marathon runners, not sprinters. Yeah. Um, and so I've accumulated a ton of cartoons that for whatever reason they didn't take, um, you know, like maybe they didn't buy the clown cartoon because they'd run a clown cartoon the week before. You know, there's it, it, it's a mystery what they buy and why they buy it and what they don't buy. Um, and it's not it's not all about which ones are funniest. Um, you know, maybe nobody knows. I mean, we we sit and talk about it and we can't figure it out. But um, yeah, I accumulate a ton of these comics and I'm and they work perfect in the book. I love it. It's like that Seinfeld episode. Which oh, the Ziggy <laughs> one or the the one where they're the, trying to figure out the uh, didn't they do a New Yorker comic strip or talking about a New Yorker comic? I can't remember. Or maybe it was I Ziggy. There, you know, I think you're right. It was Ziggy. Where she did one and she's like she she wrote one and then and then submitted it and there's one where she didn't get the joke and then went to ask what it meant. Because it didn't make sense to her, um, but I think both of those episodes, or it might be the same episode, is actually written by a New Yorker cartoonist. Um, <laughs> this is kind of cool. That's nice. Um, now, oil and water. You we mentioned right at the beginning uh, the book about um, the BP oil spill. Mm-hmm. Is this your first kind of tackle on on journalistic type work? Uh, I actually did a few years ago um, when I was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the Too Much Coffee Man. Um, uh, I'd been hearing about that coffee lawsuit story, and so I did a I did a eight or ten page critique on the 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 uh, 
Lydeck, the woman that mm -hmm. spilled the coffee on herself and then sued McDonald's. Uh, yeah, that's um, in the in the omnibus. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot that that was in there. Um, so that that was really the first time when I was like, oh, I wanted like people, you know, they were always making that joke of like, oh, you should sue McDonald's or ha ha ha, spill coffee and. Um, but actually, a buddy of mine, Sam Hurt, who lived in Texas, he went to college with the uh, attorney who defended McDonald's. Um, and so I started hearing, and I, a lot of this I didn't include in the story, but it, I, I heard kind of how that case went down and why it went down that way and what it meant. Um, and it was so complicated and interesting that I wanted to do that story for about five years, and so finally I was like, what do I... I wrapped up this too much Coffee Man storyline, so, and I just thought, what do I do next? And that was the first time I'd really done what I felt was like the comics journalism. Um, but, that, yeah, I mean, the, the oil and water is definitely a, a, a little bit more ambitious. <laughs> Being 130 <laughs> pages. <laughs> yeah. So did you actually travel down? You were part of the crew that went down from Oregon? Yeah, there was about 20 of us. Um, and uh, a guy named Mike Rosen um, just called me up and said, asked if I wanted to be the, the cartoonist on the trip. And at the time, he didn't know what would come out of it, but he knew he wanted to do some sort of book. Um, and he said, yeah, just bring sketchbooks and just draw and document as much as you can. Um, and I know he's a big fan of uh, like Joe Sacco and all the uh, all the uh, Sarah Glidden, um, mm -hmm. uh, Matt Boers, all these people that are kind of doing that. He thought there was a real was a really good way to communicate um, information. So yeah, he said, "Come down, I'll you know." Um, and he organized the trip so that it got funded by. Um, Keen Shoes and got some other contributions um, and just put it together and made it happen. It was great. It's kind of weird, you know, like, not even kind of weird. It was, you know, it's, it's it was heartbreaking going down there. Um, the Seeing the environment was, was difficult, but really seeing the effect that it had on, on people and um, just the people's lives being affected in such a profound way. It's very... Um, and not even... What's that? No, go ahead. Oh, well, just that the people, they're being tromped on by other people. It's not even... I mean, the environment gets destroyed, but it's like... It's such a complex um, issue and so many different opinions, but that, to me, was the most interesting part is... is um, people not being able to, you know, they've been fishing for their lives, and then all of a sudden they can't do that anymore. It was hard to see. I was I was thinking about it, and just how, you know, that was, was that just last summer? Or summer yeah. before last? And just how, you know, it was such a big thing then, and now it's just not on the thought at all. Like, I don't feel like it's in the the cultural lexicon anymore. Well, that was that was an interesting thing being down there, um, because we talked to people and said, "What are you doing?" And we, oh, we're down here 
and there's even a term of disaster tourism where yeah. something bad happens and all these people come down with this good intention to help fix things and then as soon as it's off the news that you know they're left alone and so one of the goals that we had and we would talk to people and say we're going down there because we want to keep this on the radar we want we want the awareness that we screwed up one of the more sensitive richer environments and we need to fix it um and when we would tell people that that was our goal was to give them a voice and to keep it on the radar that that's when they really opened up and and kind of like oh, okay you're not trying to save us you're you're trying to tell these stories that we're trying to tell and um and then they would really share their lives with us that was a really interesting um it was an interesting moment it, interesting transition even even like the bp oil guy like i would i was out on the beach and they had this zamboni type machine that that's a beach cleaner and um and this is sort of a testament to the power of comics and comics journalism, is that I'm walking down there, and clearly I'm not supposed to be on the beach, and this guy sees me, and he's coming towards me, and, you know, I, because of all the stupid things I've done, I know when there's an authority figure coming towards me, and they are going to tell me to leave, or try to arrest me, or, you know, like, want to see some ID. Like, I know that look on the face of, like, this is going to be a power conflict, right? Like, they're going to, they're about to make yeah. me stop whatever I'm doing. And the technique that I learned at some point, if you if you have fear on your face, if you look like you're doing something guilty, uh, wrong, which I was, I mean, I was, I ducked under, you know, do not cross tape and things to get where I was because I wanted to look at this machine. Um, if I looked like I was guilty, he would, he would, kick me out and, and make sure I wasn't there. And the trick there was to just open up and to say like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, like, and be yeah. really friendly. And then he's like, well, da, 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 you know, and there's that tone. And, he, and then, and then to say, you know, I have a sketchbook and I'm, and so I sort of let him see it. And then he gets curious. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm a cartoonist. I'm drawing this. And, and then I start asking him questions. Um, and he's down there just trying to, you know, he wants to clean the beach and he feels like he's doing the right thing and to validate him and to engage in a friendly level like that and just say, yeah, I'm really interested in this machine, which I was. And I was like, could you explain to me how this works and show me? And so he walked me all around and like told me all these little parts and I drew all this stuff and he looked at all the drawings and he spent a good amount of time talking with me. Um, it was really different than there was another guy on the trip at a different part of the beach that had gone in with his camera and the BP oil guy had chased him around. He was like yelling at him, like, you can't be on the beach. And he's like, it's a public beach. I can be where I want. And he's like, you need to get out of here now. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. To, and this is where it scoops the sand and then it goes into this agitator and we put, it's just, it's just soap. We just use soap. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of an amazing well, it's, yeah. it's, you know, in my own life and your own stuff that I do, you know, it's all about how you come across someone. If, like, I'm doing an interview and I come across belligerent and self-involved and, you know, with an agenda up front, 
I'll have the, a different reaction from folks if I'm just like, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And comics should be friendly, and it, it, it should enable that. I think it kind of does in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, what was the question? Like, yeah, God. I think it's the first comics journalism piece. <laughs> but there's real one. <laughs> Yes. Answer yes. Yes. Uh, I prefer your answer than the uh, than than just getting the answer. Yes. We'll just put that on record there. Um, for anyone doing interviews, the full answers are fantastic. Um, what kind of stuff did you learn that you weren't expecting when you went down? I. Uh, or is it too much well, to say? No, I mean, I, what I learned is that uh, just how complicated it is. Um, a lot of the people said they didn't want BP oil to leave um, because they BP oil needed to be there to clean it up. But if you put the company out of business, then everybody, you know, people just put the money in their pockets and run away. And they wanted accountability, um, and they wanted they wanted the responsibility to let it be cleaned up and fixed as well as possible. Um, the awareness of the economics, like a lot of the people, that's what, when I was down there, it surprised me, is just how the people that were living there, working there, were really, they're like, yeah, it's really complicated. And then they would explain why and how it was complicated. Um, and that... It just runs counter stereotypes, um, where you know we go out on a boat with a with a fisherman, maybe a twenty year old guy, and you sort of have this preconception that he's not very bright, and end up realizing like, oh, this guy's a lot smarter than me, and that's kind of um, it, it's nice. I I like that kind of surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think it's sort of a it's a privilege to have that to be to be pleasantly surprised by people is always, you know, it's, it's always nice. Much better than the opposite, where you think somebody's smart, and then they turn out to be um, just an absolute idiot. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're also doing a book for Top Shelf, I read somewhere, and it's basically you're doing comic strips based on the Bible? Yeah, uh, a buddy of mine did... Um, actually, I didn't know him very well. Um, I came across his, a zine that he'd done called The Superman Stories, and I just thought it was it was just an amazing piece of fiction. And he it was, it was taking Superman and um, writing this account of him and his and Lois Lane's relationship, but it was, it was just so pedestrian, and they're bickering, and it was just... And I just thought... So I re-ran some of that in the Too Much Coffee Man magazine, and then when I would see him, I'd be like, oh, what are you working on? And then he said that he's working on uh, the Bible. Um, and I said, if there's any way for me to be involved, like, I, you know, anything I can do, like have cartoons with you or something, um, I would like to do a project with you. And, and so, I mean, and this is like over the course of six or seven years, I guess, Um and then he started giving me the Bible, and I said, well, what about if I did a gag cartoon 
for each. He's he's taking a book of the Bible and then rewriting it. Um, his original idea was to have each be three paragraphs, and then we you know shifted that a little bit. But I said, well, what about a gag cartoon to introduce each each chapter or each book? And uh, and so that's what you know. And then I started pitching it around um, to various publishers about a year ago, um, and just kind of had it on the back. I started doing cartoons for maybe two or three years ago. Um, and then, yeah, we just finally like, like, yeah, let's really do this. Let's make it happen. Top Shelf is really interested. And, um, yeah, push it out. So he's he's done writing and I'm done with most of the cartoons. We're going to have a, a, a put together a little 32-page sampler of it um, for San Diego uh, Comic Convention. And I don't it's just, it's it's he grew up with the Bible and for Mark he he felt like it's such an important piece of literature mm-hmm. that he wanted to share it with people. Um he doesn't feel religious about it, but he does feel like in terms of he said it's it's the most quoted um book around and it's also one of the more misunderstood and so he wanted to give an accurate description of like this is what happens in Isaiah or um, you know, this is the, the Old Testament. Like, this is kind of God's general attitude, or, or Leviticus. Like, mm-hmm. when people quote stuff out of the Bible, a lot of the time misquoted it's coming out of um, yeah, and it's coming out of Leviticus. Um, so, I don't know. It's it was a great project to be involved with it, um, and it's also yeah. joining in a fine tradition of. Uh... Cartoonists <laughs> abusing a uh, religious text. <laughs> no, I was I was actually mean specifically the Bible with uh, Crumb's Genesis and Basil Wolverton's Old Testament. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, no, it's great, uh, and it's nice to finally get into um, reading that stuff too and learning about it because I like Hosea. I just love and that that one's funny. It's where. Um, it's this preacher who's basically married to a woman who sleeps with everybody in town and um, everybody laughs at the guy and then um, and then finally somebody says you know hey you know, how come you're so married to her like everybody laughs at you because she sleeps with it and he's like well I, um, and he just like turns it into this explanation about how that's the way God feels about us like we do all these terrible things and yet he still loves us and that's why his wife does all these terrible things and he still loves her. And it's just such a ridiculous story. <laughs> and then to take that and then make a little single panel cartoon out of it where he's saying, yeah, my wife's a whore, but she makes for a great metaphor. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's, just, it's fun. It's like a little puzzle of like, how do you, like Mark's puzzle is to reduce it down to three paragraphs and my puzzle is to reduce it down to one sentence. And an image, which, you know, I guess it's worth a thousand words, but... Um. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to see what you do with Kings. <laughs> Thanks. And then the Little Kids book, that's the third, the other project that we're... I, another, again, like a friend of mine whose text I really like, um, Grandpa Won't Wake Up, and, and I, I, he's like, oh, would you draw this? And I was like, no, I don't want to draw... And then I read it, and I was like, oh, crap, this is really good. I've got to... And this, again, is like four or five years ago, and then 
just working on it every now and again until we had something and then threw it around to publishers and then so Boone's putting that out this October as well um, and that's where these little kids are trying to wake up their grandfather and so they start off like doing these very simple kind of cute things and then um, like they play music and they pinch his cheeks and then and then as you get into the book they, and the refrain is you know we, we pitched his cheeks but grandpa wouldn't wake up and we played play the music but grandpa wouldn't wake up and it all rhymes with these little couplets um, but then they dress him up like a Nazi they put a candle in his butt they hang him from <laughs> a tree and they hit him like a pinata like it just gets really like it gets really dark <laughs> so they summon demons they I mean it just it's like, like you just think wow this is really tasteless and then you turn the page and it's like oh that's even worse than and then, and then too, we're like, what kind of candles? Like, oh, what about like Roman candles and the fireworks? Have, like, oh yeah. And then, like, well, you dressed up like a Nazi. Oh, let's make up Hanukkah candles. And it's just, <laughs> it, it's just wrong. I mean, it's like so offensive. So it's not for kids. Uh, well, no, no, no. It's uh, it'd be great for kids. It would just ruin them. <laughs> <laughs> You're a terrible man, Shannon. You're a terrible, terrible man. <laughs> I love that Uncle Shelby's ABZ book. Um, you know, there, there's another tradition is like the, you know, scarring kids for life. The, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to make them cry. Oh, oh, children. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, lots of work. It's been crazy. I just haven't. Yeah. Done anything in the last few. In the last year, <laughs> and now it's going to be coming out all over the next six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I'll have a, I'll be flooding the market. Um, <laughs> theoretically, we'll see if, you know, if the plan we'll works or not. We'll see if, if uh, Top Shelf's prediction is true and or not, or not Top Shelf. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, oh right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Armageddon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I much appreciate it. Uh, just a reminder, folks, uh, Shannon Wheeler, his uh, latest books out now or coming out in the immediate future, I Thought You Would Be Funnier from Boom, uh, the Too Much Coffee Man omnibus from the fine folks at Dark Horse, and what was the, the Oil and Water from Fanographics, and uh -huh. what's the Bible yeah. book you're doing? What's it called? The Bible, uh, God, God has disappointed you, um, which kind of sums up the Old Testament because every every book is basically about how people do something, and God gets mad and punishes them. So, um, yeah, God has disappointed you, and then uh, yeah, Grandpa won't wake up is another Boom book. Fantastic. Um, tons of stuff. It's ridiculous. It's I, I'm an idiot for doing for doing all this really. Ah, you'll be happy with it. You'll be happier you did it than you would if you didn't. That's true. There we go. That's true. And well, well, thank you so much, Shannon. I love it. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Give me a chance to talk about myself. Nothing there better. There we go. That's, that's what the show is all about.